Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash Canada EHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate, or you can go to buymeacupofcoffee slash Craig U. All of these links are also in my show notes. And for people who donate, I have various levels of benefits. For $5, you get a thank you at the start of the next episode of Canadian History X, Canada's Great War, and from John to Justin, and on social media. For $10, you get everything from the $5, plus this episode is sponsored by with your name at the start. Also, I'll state it's sponsored by you on social media. For $20, everything from the $5 and $10, plus a second episode sponsored by you and promotion of something you're working on. And for $50, everything from the $5, $10, and $20, plus you get to choose a topic for me to cover on Canadian History X. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G. B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram and TikTok where I put up daily videos about Canada's history. Just go to my username, Bairdo37. And you can find weekly videos on Canada's history on my YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com slash C slash Canadian History X. If you want to find transcripts of every episode I've ever done, you can go to my website, CanadaEHX.com. And there's over 700 posts on Canada's history there. The area that Coaldale sits on today was right in the middle of the territory of the Blackfoot for centuries. The Cree would occasionally move into the area, but this primarily happened closer to when Europeans arrived in North America and began to disrupt the territories of the indigenous. The Stony Nakoda were also found in the area, and it was also near Coaldale that a 12,000-year-old Clovis Point arrowhead was found, the first of its kind in Alberta. Nearby to Coaldale, you can find the Ross Archaeological Site. This is a site rich in indigenous history dating back to 1400 AD. The site encompasses 35 acres and was occupied at least six times between 1400 and 1700 AD. Artifacts from the site have been collected and are now found at the Royal Alberta Museum and the University of Calgary. Archaeological excavations occurred between 1957 and 1980, and yielded stone and bone tools, shell and bone beads, pottery, pendants, buffalo stones, and fragmented animal bone. Activities at the site include tool manufacturing, animal butchering, meat roasting, marrow extraction, and grease preparation. Typically, the indigenous occupied the site on a seasonal basis, as there is also a bison kill site located nearby. And due to its historic nature, it was made a provincial historic resource in 1981. The bison were an incredibly important part of the life of the Blackfoot, and huge herds would migrate through the area of Coaldale, which the Blackfoot followed through the year. 
Eventually, the bison were hunted to near extinction by the Canadians and Americans, and the Blackfoot were forced to sign Treaty 7 in order to stave off starvation. Today, Coaldale sits on Treaty 7 land, and an indigenous reserve is located one hour southwest of the community. The history of Coaldale itself begins in the mid-1890s when the railway was built through. The Canadian Pacific Railway was being built north of the area in the 1880s, but it would be a decade before it was built south of that line into the area of Lethbridge and Coaldale. While it may seem obvious that the name Coaldale comes from coal, since it is in the name, that's actually wrong. When the first rail siding was built east of Lethbridge, the name Coaldale was chosen by the Canadian Pacific Railway in reference to Coaldale Home, the residence of Elliot Galt. Galt was a well-known figure in the early mining history of Lethbridge, who also had a lot of land in the area, and he worked with the railroad. Galt was instrumental in getting the CPR to build a narrow gauge line between Lethbridge and Dunmore. It was also Galt who helped get a massive irrigation project started in southern Alberta. The Galt Canal would eventually provide water for irrigation to Coaldale in 1905, changing the town and the surrounding area forever. Water would come in from the St. Mary River about 97 kilometers away from the town, and with this new irrigation system, there was enough water to cover the entire district in two feet of water during the irrigation season. In the area, the Southern Alberta Irrigation Farms Company owned much of the land, and they would erect the first house in Coaldale. The land in the area was quickly bought up then, which proved to be a good thing for farming, especially when the irrigation was built through. The Lethbridge Telegram wrote, quote, the soil throughout the district is quite uniform, being a dark chocolate of good depth, underlaid with a clay subsoil. The older parts of the district have been under irrigation for about 12 years, and alkali deposits are practically unknown." End quote. Up until 1905, there was only a section house in the community, but settlers started to arrive in Coaldale in 1908, and soon after a church and school were established. An elevator was built in 1911, and three years later, the small school was replaced with a larger one. It was thanks to the irrigation that in April 1911, it was announced that a large nursery farm would be established by the federal government. Under the direction of Archie Mitchell, a leading authority on trees, flowers, and grain, the nursery had been moved from its proposed location in Indian Head, Saskatchewan, Mitchell had also been the chief weed inspector for Alberta. Thousands of dollars was being spent to create a nursery stock that would be able to accommodate the needs of Alberta and Saskatchewan, while also testing the soil to see what could be grown in the area. The nursery would be ready the following year, and it was a beautiful sight on the open prairie as passengers on trains traveled through. In 1916, Coaldale had 35 children of school age, and decided to spend $20,000 to build a two-room brick building with four classes, an auditorium, and modern conveniences. Many thought this was ridiculous given the low population of the area, but by 1919, 150 students were attending the school, coming from as far away as 20 kilometers. After the First World War, many returning soldiers were able to get land on what was called soldier colonies. These colonies, which were vast tracts of land, were reserved for veterans and one was located near Coaldale. The Lethbridge Herald wrote, quote, 
Last year, on each farm, they built a comfortable house and a small barn and stable, ran ditches and raised crops under irrigation so that when the armistice was signed in the fall of 1918, each farm was ready for its future soldier owner to take possession as a going concern. End quote. I'd like to take a break away from the episode for a second to talk about ExploreNet. I've spent most of my life living in rural areas in Canada, and I remember the days of dial-up internet and spotty high-speed service. For the past three years, I have been a customer of ExploreNet, and I can honestly say that it is the best rural internet I have ever had. My job as a podcaster means I spend a lot of time researching online, interviewing people over Zoom, and uploading content. Through it all, ExploreNet has provided me with excellent service. When I'm not working, I enjoy streaming content on several streaming platforms and even doing some online gaming with a friend in Ontario. ExploreNet allows me to do all of that with ease. Right now, they offer up to 50 megabits per second on their new LTE network with unlimited data. Their service has only become faster and better since I first signed on. Today and beyond, ExploreNet is investing in building and upgrading the network at a rapid pace. ExploreNet is rural, and that is their route, and that is their focus. For more information about rural internet options in your area, go to ExploreNet.com or call 1-866-285-2253. Most of the men on the colony were privates, but Captain A. Orr was the highest-ranking individual. He'd enlisted in 1915 as a private and soon found himself rising through the ranks. At the colony, he was known for being an exceptionally good cook, whose home was always open to everyone. Around the area, he was called the Cap. On July 20th, 1920, a terrible fire struck Coaldale when the barn and alfalfa mill of J.B. Shemek burned to the ground. Damages were put at $30,000, with $5,000 of that being the loss of the machinery in the mill. While everything was mostly covered by insurance, the building was valued at $10,000 and was a major employer within Coaldale. The fire was first noticed at 1am and an alarm was signaled with the Lethbridge Fire Department racing to the scene to help deal with the fire and keep it from spreading. A nearby pond provided water to fight the fire, but it was impossible to save the building despite the efforts of the Lethbridge Fire Brigade. It was believed that the fire started because of heated hay. The mill would be replaced, but this time it was replaced with a brick structure to keep it safe from fire. Many settlers came to the area of Coaldale to take advantage of the irrigation that had been built through the area. One group that arrived were Russian-German families, including two who settled on the land owned by one of the original settlers to the area, George Hayes. The settlers raised beads and became quite successful at it. They were also highly respected for their work ethic. The Calgary Herald wrote, quote, They've nearly all rented land on a crop share plan, and men, women, and children may be seen at work early and late in the fields. End quote. Originally, the arrival of the soldiers was viewed by locals in Coaldale with concern. Many questioned how they would manage not being able to speak the language. These issues proved to be a non-concern due to the efforts of the new settlers to help their new home. The people of Coaldale would soon come around to the new arrivals. The Calgary Herald wrote, quote, Most people in the district are trying in spite of difficulty to give them a welcome and make them feel at home. End quote. 
1927, a man named B.B. Jans arrived in the area of Coldale. Jans had been born in present-day Ukraine, and after becoming a Mennonite minister in what was then the Russian Empire, he began to raise his profile within the Mennonite Church. He would use the profile to help Mennonites in the Soviet Union after the Russian Revolution. In 1922, he negotiated with the Soviet government to allow 3,000 Mennonites to emigrate to Canada in 1923. In 1924, he was able to negotiate another 5,048 Mennonites to come to Canada. He would finally come to Canada himself in 1926 when he found out that the Soviet government was now targeting him for arrest and even assassination. At first, he settled in Winnipeg and then purchased land near Coaldale. It was in Coldale that he became a Mennonite minister for the community and a member of the Canadian Mennonite Board of Colonization. He would continue to help Mennonites leave the Soviet Union for the rest of his life, and he would also help found the Coldale Bible School and the Coldale Mennonite High School. Jans would die on October 16, 1964, and is buried in Coldale. On August 14, 1928, a brazen robbery occurred in Coldale when a man was hit over the head while standing at the railway station early in the morning. He was then robbed of the $250 he had on him. That may not seem like a lot, but with inflation that would be $4,100 today. The man was on his way from Medicine Hat to Tabor, but he had overslept and had to get off the train at Coldale and wait for a train to Lethbridge to take him to Tabor. He would be found laying on the platform when the eastbound train arrived. Thankfully, while lost of a lot of money, he would recover from the attack. One year after the robbery, on October 26, 1929, Coldale was hit by another robbery. It was on that day that one ton of flour was stolen from the Southern Alberta Cooperative Warehouse. This came only one day after a family was robbed by gunpoint when a man entered their rural home. This was a great deal of concern for the people of the area, as there was a growing epidemic of crime. But, as it turned out, this would be one of the last of the rare cases of violent crime in Coaldale. One reason for the increased crime was that coal mines in the Crow's Nest Pass were idle, and many of the men were out of work. This led some to desperate measures, which included robbing people and businesses when they had the chance. In 1937, Coaldale entered the cheese-making game, and became known for its high-quality cheese. It was in that year when the price of grain and feed was low, and Coldale decided it would be the right place for a cheese factory. This would allow local farmers to sell their milk so they could keep their farms. John Mater was hired as the first cheesemaker for the cheese factory in 1938. The cheese from the factory would win several awards and was considered by some to be the best cheese in the province and the cheese factory continued to operate until 1972 when it was sold. If you'd like to learn more about the history of Coldale, the Gem of the West Museum is a great place to check out. Within the museum, there are several exhibits to explore, including a First Nations exhibit, which contains the Clovis Point Arrowhead I mentioned earlier. The museum also has a Discover Main Street exhibit that reconstructs a grocery store, a one-room school, and the CPR station. You can see the typewriter used by B.B. Jans and a butcher sh that showcases the equipment used by a butcher shop in Coldale for 95 years. There's an on-site operational blacksmith shop and much more. And the entire museum is housed at the Mennonite Brethren Church, which was built in 1939 
and today is a historic property. I hope you enjoyed that episode of my look at Coaldale, Alberta. If you did, please leave a rating and review. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. As well, again, if you want to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. And you can donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. I'd also like to thank all of my wonderful patrons, and I apologize if I get any names incorrect. Wendy Mills, Keelan Pregnitz, Michael Matthews, Joanna Parker, Jeff Dahl, Vobs, Robert Page, Richard D., Colin Johnson, Jeff Hershey, Kyle Murray, Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, an anonymous patron that I truly do appreciate, Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Shove, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rawa, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.